0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you
1: live. Hello, welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Tara parker Pope, editor of the Wellbeing Desk here at The Post. My guest today is best known for his roles in 80s movies, but more recently he's been writing about his world travels. Joining me today is Andrew McCarthy, actor and author of the new book, uh, walking with Sam, a father, a son, and 500 miles across Spain. Andrew, welcome to Washington Post Live.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Good to be with you.
1: It's nice to see you. You know, it's uh, a lot of us grew up with your movies and uh, really uh, you brought a lot of joy to a lot of people over the years. So thank you for that.
0: Yeah, yeah I am the avatar of a certain generation's youth, yes.
1: <laughs> so tell me about this book and this journey. Can you start by telling me about the Camino de Santiago, like the history of it? Like, What's the importance and the significance of this hype?
0: Yeah, the Camino de Santiago began in the, uh, the ninth century when the Catholic Church said that the bones of the Apostle James had been discovered in the far western reach of the Iberian Peninsula, and anybody willing to march there would get half their time in purgatory knocked off, which is, you know, let's face it, that's a good deal. And and what it was also really about, interestingly was uh, real estate because Islam had taken over uh, Spain and the Catholic church wanted it back. And so they said, while you're marching across Spain to purify your almighty soul, kick out those damn Moors. And so it was about the beginning of the crusades and the Knights Templar and all that good bloody, gory history. And it worked. The Catholic church got the Spain back for, uh, and, The rest is history, and it's been walked by people ever since. And it fell out of favor for centuries, and then in the 20th century, it began to become popular again. Uh, And so, it's something I first walked 25 years ago. I read about it, and I just something in it just made me go, "I want to go do that." It was after my sort of early blush with fame and all that stuff had happened to me, and I I was—I think—I was looking for some kind of grounding of myself, or to sort of, without even knowing it, to, to locate myself in a in a more real way, which it did. It was a profound experience, life-changing.
1: Did you walk it by yourself the first time or did you have a companion on the trip?
0: No, I, I walked it alone. You know, although uh-huh. when you're walking the, the Camino, there's a lot of other people doing it from all over the world. And so you can be as social or as private as you want it. I mean, I tend to be a bit of a loner. So I spent a lot of the time alone, but, uh, but I did make some nice friends. But yeah, I went, I went alone. And, I, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of solo travel.
1: So 25 years later, you get a big idea. Like what brought about this idea to walk walk the Camino with your son? Well, the
0: first time I, I walked it, I I think I had a kind of white light experience that was life changing, and and I was in a field of wheat and I broke down into a sobbing fit, and it, I, I had this moment of clarity where I, it occurred to me how much fear had kind of dominated my life, and so much so that I didn't even wasn't aware that fear was a, was a factor in my life until that moment of its first absence and then I realized oh I felt like myself in a very real way uh and so this was near the end of the pandemic when we'd been pumped with so much fear then cut to 25 years later and it's near the end of the pandemic and I thought I could use probably an antidote shot against fear again so I I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that I ought to go to Spain and my son was just cusping manhood he was 19 years old and about to embark on his own life you know and I wanted an opportunity to transition our relationship you know I left home at 17 and that was the end of my relationship with my dad and I did not want that to happen with my kids and so I thought it would give us an opportunity to help transition our relationship from parent-child dynamic to one of more adults you know by getting a chance to really see each other I think that's all any of us want in life right see me see me and I think it gave us a chance to really see each other in a way perhaps we hadn't before.
1: What was your son's reaction when you uh, suggested this very long walk? With
0: <laughs> well, he he'd heard me talk about it, I guess, for his whole life, because I'm always saying about, oh, the Camino, because uh, I, I did find it so life changing. And, and everyone of I, I've known who's done it has felt that way, too. Anyway, so uh, I asked him and he said, uh, yeah, OK, I'll do that. And I was shocked. And I that instant I ran into the other room, went to my computer and bought two plane tickets. And two days later, we were in Spain because I knew if he had a minute to think about it, he would change his mind. So off we went, you know, and I, I was right. I mean, on day two, he said to me, Dad, what's the point of this effing walk? And, you know, he didn't say effing. And then so and, you know, <laughs> but at, at, when we arrived in Santiago a month later, he said, Dad, that's the only 10 out of 10 thing I've ever done in my life. You know, so I knew it would. So it had its effect.
1: Well, that's high praise from a from a young. That person. is high praise from and a young person, or an old person. But that's that's pretty great. So, did you always know that you were going to write about this experience? Did you go in thinking you were going to write about it?
0: Well, you know, I'm a travel writer. I've been a travel writer for the last twenty years. So, you always take a pad because you figure at some point something about your travels is going to be, you know, you're going to do something with it. And so, I had a pad and I was keeping notes and whatnot along the way and as you get to santiago is 500 miles uh, across spain and then it, it, the trail the pilgrimage ends in santiago de compostela which is about 50 miles from the sea but a lot of walkers feel the the pull to go beyond and go to the sea i did not and i was happy to make it santiago and sit my tired body down but my son said at a certain point in the middle of the walk and it's a place called Finisterre at the, at the sea. And he said, I'm going to walk on to Finisterre. you want to walk with me? And I said, no. And there was something about the low-hanging fruit of that metaphor of my son going beyond what I had accomplished. that You know, I think that's hardwired into every parent. We want our kids to go beyond us, you know, whether you're the first to go to college or the first doctor in the family, whatever. And the idea that he was going beyond what we did together and taking it further was really quite touching to me actually and and i thought in that instant oh there's a book here because this book is really about you know fatherhood it's a father it's called walking with sam but it's really a book about how does one be a parent and um because i was just asking those questions all the way along along the route of just sort of i was confronted with my son and trying to alter this the dynamic of this relationship and not try and parent him so hard as it were and just be more present in a simpler way and more revealing of myself to him than I might maybe have been so so it was all that was all playing in my head and when he said he was going beyond that was sealed the deal
1: I'm curious so you're a travel writer so you took notes along the way did your son keep a journal or take notes and do you recommend that people who don't plan to write a book take notes like what's the value in that from the experience even if you're not planning to write a book well I mean I I'm not a journaler. I don't,
0: I don't. Um, you know, whenever I've tried to keep a journal in life, it's sort of like, oh, the food's really bad. I'm so lonely. You know, the bed's uncomfortable. I, You know, I'm not a very successful journaler. But um, some people find it clarifying for their thoughts in that way. I, I'm just not one of those people. But my son was not, he saw me taking notes on the second day or somewhere early on. And he said, what are you doing? I go, well, you know, I'm a travel writer, Sammy. So I'm just taking some notes. And I said, you want a notepad? And he goes, no why? And so he did not take notes. No, he's 19 and not interested in that. Although I have to say a couple of days later, he did ask me for a notebook and he took notes for a few days. And then I think uh, I never saw that notebook again.
1: So you do say something really profound. You say that walking the Camino allowed you to reclaim the narratives of my own lives. Can you tell me hmm. a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, that's... Um...
0: From earlier in the book, I, I was in that instance speaking about my, the first Camino I walked. Uh, you know, I would been, as was alluded to in the introduction there, I was successful for being a, a young movie star at 22 years old. And, you know, it rocked my world, changed my place. It would Being a member of the Brat Pack would change my place in the world to this day. And I suppose I suffered from what we would now call imposter syndrome, although I don't think we had a name for it back then. Um you know, I felt like, what happened? And did I deserve that? Or was I was I going to be found out any day now? That's what we always used to say. They're gonna, we're just waiting for them to catch us, you know? And, and so when I walked, I felt, you know, I guess I felt like a bit of a fraud in when I was young. And there was, walking the, the walk, quite literally, I couldn't say that about myself anymore. I earned my way across Spain, step by step by step by step by step. You know, and I walked myself into myself in a very real way that was really life changing. And so I I was no longer it it just dissipated that sort of anxiety and that sort of imposterous fear and just sort of I landed in myself. And uh, my wife is Irish. She has all these good Irish sayings. And one of them is I felt like myself from the toes up. And, you know, when I arrived in Santiago that first time, I felt like myself from the toes up. And that's been the, the touchstone for my life ever since. You know, so I always wanted to go back and do it again.
1: You know, I think a lot of people listening to this are going to be thinking, I should do that walk. I need to get the book. I want to learn. I want to do the walk. Can I ask you some practical questions? Um, You know, you said you just hopped on. Yeah, you just hopped on a plane, but there had to be some planning, right, that goes into the walk.
0: Well, it's the simplest thing in the world. You know, the Camino tends to mirror your place in the world and the way you march through the world. You know, some people are going to wildly overprepare and not need some. Some people be totally (laughs) underprepared. I was geared toward that ladder in the sense that I'd done it before so I knew how little you needed. Um, so first of all, there's tons of it online now. You can look online and see it all, all over the place. When I did it the first time there was no information there was no online when I did it the first time. And I remember I call, I read a book about it called Off the Road by a fellow named Jack Hitt. And I always shout him out because he changed my life. I read his book about walking the Camino in the early 90s and that's why I did it. You know and I called up Jack Hitt. He worked at Harper's Magazine so I called him up was the only I'd never heard of the Camino Santo. I didn't know anybody. So I called him up and he gave me, told me what to do. And I'll tell you in the sense that you need a pair of walking shoes. You don't need hiking boots. Do not get big heavy leather ankle support hiking boots. You just need little day walkers. And you don't it's not like you're hiking the Appalachian Trail where you know you have your whole world on your back and you have to be able to contain self-contained in this way. You know, all you're doing is walking and finding food and finding shelter, which are two very easy things to do on the Camino because uh, you're walking through society, you know, you're out in the fields for large portions of the day, but you're always walking through little villages, little towns along the way, even big cities, Pamplona, you know, Leon. And so one of the interesting things is walking starting the morning we're in a village of 12 people and finishing the day in Borgo, a city of 200,000 people and walking yourself right back into society. And then what's even more interesting is the next day walking out of society, out of that city of 200,000 back into nothing. Which is great so but you really don't you need so little and you don't even need navigational skill because there are literally yellow arrows painted on rocks on trees on the street all the way across the entire country you just follow yellow arrows across the entire country and uh it starts and there are many different routes of the camino i I walk the most popular one which is the camino francais it's called and that starts in the in the pyrenees mountains in the south of france uh, in a little town called Saint Jean Pierre du Port, and you just begin and you start walking, and you need nothing. You need a pair of shorts, a couple of t-shirts, and what you don't have, you can fake, and or you can buy. You can buy t-shirts in little villages along the way. You know, you really don't need anything, and that's scary for people, I think. And you know, it it sprung up originally, as I said, as a religious route. So the Catholic Church then sprung up little churches along the way to support pilgrims, and they made these little sort of dormitories for pilgrims to sleep in albergues, refugios, and um, so there would be like dormitories, bunk beds and things. So you can always, and they still exist, and you can sleep in those for pennies a night, or you can do as I did much of the time, which is find little pensiones and little family run-ins along the way, which, um, you know, I was too old to be sleeping in a top bunk. So I was happy to, you know, have a shower. So practically- what time of year? I did it in August. You can do it any time, you can do it any time of year. I did it in August, which is, blisteringly hot in northern spain so i might not recommend august although july and august of course are the most popular times and um but you can walk any time of you of course may and september are probably the most be- beautiful times to walk it but uh and the first time i walked it i did it in july so really the practical aspects of it are so simple that it's frightening i think the reason why people don't go is a sense of why they don't travel in the first place is that sense of fear you know I think Americans, particularly, have a strong sense of fear of the world, and that's unfortunate. And I think if we got out there, we'd see that the world isn't perhaps what we've been told it is, and they aren't out to get us. And so anyhow, that's my soapbox about travel. But uh, yeah, the practicalities are quite simple.
1: But aren't there long stretches of the Camino where it can be very hot and exposed? I have heard about people who maybe didn't have enough water getting into a little bit of trouble. I don't want to tell people they they need no preparation because you do need water with you, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, of, 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 of,
0: of course, you're carrying, you know, you're being a grown-up. You are you know, if you go out to walk in a park now, people take a bottle of water. You know what I mean? We don't go 20 feet without carrying a bottle of water now. Um, so yes, you're out in, there's a place, uh, a section called the Meseta, which is this high plains in the middle of Spain that you know, Don Quixote got lost in the southern Meseta, and that's, you know, there was a good reason he was tilting at windmills. It kind of makes the pilgrims insane, and it can play with your mind, because there are days and days, about a week, of just wheat fields. You you see to the horizon, you see nothing but wheat, and you march and you march, and you get to the horizon, and there's wheat to the horizon again. And this goes on for a couple of days, several days, and it does. It messes with your mind a little bit. I'm sure you need water, you need to be a grown-up, and all that kind of stuff, but it, it's it's— you know, but the Camino, there's no, you can stop many places along the way. You can take as long as you want to take. I mean, it took us about a month, about 30, 31 days is the normal for about 500 miles. But people have done it shorter, people have done it slower. And many people pick up the route along the way. You know, most people don't start and do the whole thing. Most people actually do the last 100 miles or 100 kilometers, even. Because um, there's a thing you get at the end. If you walk the last 100 kilometers, you get a, a compostela, they call it, you know, a proof. That you walk the Camino de Santiago but what I would always say is the longer you're walking the bigger the experience you're going to have you walk for a week you don't really it's perhaps the most beautiful part of Spain Galicia in the west there sort of you know so verdant and green and everything but the longer you walk then the more attrition and where you where you wear your defenses down you wear yourself down physically that's where the gold is you know so I would always implore anyone who could afford the time to walk for as long as you can you know a week fine. It's great. It's a great walk. But a month is something more than four times as profound as going to happen. That's my experience and the experience of everyone I know who's done both long and short.
1: During the walk, did you and your son have like long, deep conversations? Was it silence? Was it a little bit of both? What was that like?
0: It was everything. I mean, we talked about everything under the sun. You know, we talked about my divorce from his mom a million years ago. Uh, you know, things like that just keep coming back up in a kid's life. And we talked about, you know, jealousy that he was experiencing and you know fears and anxieties about my career and you know we talked about it all um there's something wonderful about walking i mean walking is the natural rhythm we were meant to process things at and we've so gotten away from it you know and and you know you sit my son down to talk you're not going to get far but you get him moving it all starts coming out you know and so we talked about and there was nothing off limits you know and we talked about law and what's fun about walking what's interesting is We could have a conversation that if you looked at a transcript might take five minutes to have, and we might have that over three hours where we're walking and we're talking for a little bit and then we just fall silent and we're walking and we're walking and then 20 minutes later, somebody, one of us might go and, but then what happened was, you know what I mean? In the conversation just sort of picks up right where it was. You're having your own internal experience and then you're having the shared experience. And so there's something wonderfully spacious in that. And, you know, I had the ultimate luxury you have with an adult child, which was time. You know, and that is the great luxury you could have with an adult. So, to not have to solve his problems or give him advice and any of that kind of stuff allowed room for both of us, and allowed him then to come to me, and allowed me to then just receive him in a way that um, I think had a very beneficial effect on what our relationship would become.
1: In your daily life, when you're not, you know, traveling and writing and you know exploring the world. Do you walk? Do you have daily walks? Is that a part of your daily living?
0: I do. I, you know, well, luckily we have a dog who needs demands to be walked. And so I walk, um, I walk my dog quite a lot in the, uh, in Central Park here. Uh, and the older I've gotten, the more I I value walking because I do think, you know, it is solved by walking as, as St. Augustine said. And I think that's really true. I think there's abundant evidence of many writers saying how it fuels their creativity and, you know so, yes, I'm a walker. I'm I'm a I've drank the Kool-Aid.
1: Yeah, we wrote uh, recently about how just 11 minutes of walking a day could uh, lower your risk of premature death by almost 25 percent. But it does sound like you have come to appreciate the effect that walking can have on your body and your mind. It's. Feels well, like I mean,
0: frankly, have- from me, obviously it has all the physical benefits and, you know, we keep finding out more and more of them. But I'm frankly more interested in the emotional and the mental benefits. I mean, you know, my mind can be like a you know a hamster wheel and just goes and goes and goes. And so to, and walking just burns that off. You know, the Greek Hippocrates said, you know, if you have a problem, if you're in a bad mood, go for a walk. If you're still in a bad mood, go for another walk. You know, I mean, it just brings us home to ourselves in a way that I don't know, you know. Physical, the physical does that, and walking does that in a really deep way, I think, because it it is the natural rhythm of processing, you know. So, I'm a big believer in it, and I love letting the mind wander and do whatever it wants to do, you know.
1: Well, speaking of that, tell me about technology on the walk. Did you have your phone? Did you have access to email and text? Did you use it? Tell me about technology. I mean,
0: I, I the first time I did it, you had to. It was a huge deal. If you want to make a call, you had to, you know, find a phone, or pay for the work to make a collect call, and remember all that stuff. And uh, mm. anyway, yes, we did have our phones. I mean, there are pilgrims who walk and are very, you know, strict and austere, and that you know they don't have any technology, they don't, you know, no communication, no music, you know, and which is fine. That's great if that's what you want to do. And to me, you know, the walk's hard and long enough. And my life is not my process is not that precious. Uh, so we did have our phones. And what was interesting about that was over time, how the phone just naturally receded in import until near the end. You're kind of like, oh, I haven't looked at my phone today. Let me check and see what's going on. But yes, there's Internet and all that all along the way. And uh, and then it actually came in quite handy because I had a habit of getting us lost and losing the yellow arrows. And Sam would invariably pull out his phone, click on his Snapchat and see a little man walking on the map and go, yeah, we got to go left here. It's over there. So Snapchat saved us more than once. (laughs) So who am I to poo-poo technology?
1: So in the book, you also explore the relationship with your own father. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? What was your relationship like with your dad? And did this walk allow for any healing or new insights into that relationship as you were walking with your son?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, I had no relationship with my dad. I left home at 17, and that was that, really. You know, and I was terrified of my dad as a young man. He was a very volatile guy, and so uh, so we had no, you know, and that's probably the biggest regret of my life, like I said. And, you know, so, but then, you know, I reconciled with him as he was dying, and that was a beautiful thing, and I, I did that very much for myself because I wanted to be a better parent to my kids, you know, and that was a beautiful thing to sort of, find that the love underneath it all, just to drop all that stuff. We didn't solve any of it, but we just sort of dropped it and to know that love was still there. You know, I was free to love my dad a lot more now than I ever was in life. And that feels nice. Um, But I I, you know, I'm a different guy than my dad was. I, I just didn't want to have. But as I get older, I realize I'm more like my dad than I would like to have admitted many times along the way. So it's just, you know, it's an evolutionary thing. There's my dad's always there, and then there's me, and then there's my son. And so it's all just one passing. You pull a thread through all that, and um, you can't deny that stuff. So, and in the walking, I'm like, sure, my dad would pop up, and memories of my dad would come up, and I would just sort of write them down exactly where they happened. I have no idea where they popped into my mind. Like, I remember, oh, that painting. The big fight we had over that painting that I was going to take to college and I just wrote it down, made a note of it to write it in the book. And I didn't, wouldn't even know why it was there in that spot. And yet that was the truth of the experience of the process and the time. And so that's where it went in the book, you know, and uh, I suppose my dad was with us along the way the whole time.
1: So we have an audience question from Regina Carey of Michigan. Now, I'm curious what you'll say about this. I don't know if this is a literal or a figurative question. Um, what did you release while you were on the Camino? Does that, what does that mean to you, that question?
0: Well, um, I, I take to, that to read emotionally. Um, and, you know, the first time I walked the Camino, like I mentioned earlier, I had a massive release of fear, you know, to that, and so that was a beautiful thing, the spaciousness that comes with sort of releasing that. I released a lot of things, I, I think, you know, the, one of the gifts of the Camino is that things process and come up slowly uh, over time, but, uh, and when they do come up, then consequently, they're more sort of bone deep, you know, they're not kind of frivolous things, but I released, I think, a lot of this odd notion of, that I had without even knowing I had it when we started, this over, sense of over-responsibility toward my kids, that, and, and in carrying the burden of responsibility you know, you throw a few extra emotional rocks in that backpack of responsibility because you're accountable, you're taking care, you're responsible for these people. And, you know, what, what it dawned on me was that the degree to which we are overly responsible is the degree to which we're actually underserving our job as parents. Uh, so things like that happen. I learned to release a lot of knowing. You know, it I was amazing to me how many times I would just say to Sam when he'd ask me stuff, he'd be talking about, getting jealous or something and really fraught about something, and I just go, I don't know. I don't know, what do you think? Instead of going, well, you know what? Jealousy's interesting, Sam, and having mm-hmm. an answer. You know, I learned not to have to have an answer, which is a beautiful
1: thing. <laughs> so there's a story in the book about a scallop shell and mm-hmm. your desire to share it with your son, but it didn't quite go as planned. Can you tell me that story?
0: Yeah, the scallop shell is something that oh, pilgrims, I guess all, or I, most anyway, Carry a scallop shell on their backpack or somewhere on them, their body as a symbol that they are a pilgrim marching to Santiago. So it's a symbolic thing. And I had kept mine from my first journey, 25 years earlier. And as we and I packed, I found it before we were leaving. And I packed, and I wanted to give it to Sam to see if he would want to carry it. And as we were there, the first morning, we went into a little shop, and Sam was like, "Oh, we got to get scallop shells. I'll get this one." And I was just like. Just, and he just grabbed a shell and he, and that was his shell, and in that instant it that really the metaphor of that of just like you know it's his own life I didn't you know, and I was glad because it's his Camino, as they say, and so the burden and again this idea of something we you know passing down you know the sins of the father are going to get passed down enough without having to have some metaphor of it carrying around so that was just sort of that was my first indication that you know, the Camino was going to do for me and my parenting role, what it was going to do, as opposed to what I thought should be happening.
1: It actually sounds like a wonderful experience. It's a very inspiring uh, story. Now I want to walk it with my daughter who actually is it's living amazing. in Spain right now. Yeah, I think it sounds like a great time and just a really uh, a great time to get to know each other. Um, but tell me something. So you're in addition to being a travel writer and uh, spending time with your family, you're working on a documentary about the Brat Pack. Can you tell me a little bit
0: about that? Yeah, I um, I wrote a memoir about the Brat Pack several years ago, or about my experience of being uh, in the Brat Pack, uh, called Brat, and uh, and that was an interesting experience. So it it, because that was a seminal moment in my life that it changed who I would become being in the Brat Pack, you know. And it's something that's obviously still talked about thirty five years later, you know. So there's something there, you know, in that it has become a touchstone for a moment in popular culture for a certain generation that is undeniable. So, and I am sort of more than the sum of my parts because I was in the Brat Pack. So anyway, I, I had this, uh, and it took me a long time to realize we hated the Brat Pack when it first came out, the label. We hated it. I mean, who wants to be called a brat? Who wants to be in some pack? It was, it was an article in New York Magazine that was cast in real aspersion uh, about us. And it was a really negative thing and it was detrimentally affected all our careers in a real way for a while and or longer for some of us. And so we hated it. And so it took me decades, centuries to kind of come 180 degrees to realize how much that had meant to people of a certain generation. And that, like I said at the top, you know, I, I and other members of the Brad Pack are the avatars of that generation's youth and how much. They project onto us, me, us, and the other members, that affection. Because there's no more potent moment in life than when you're 20, 21, you know, when you're just cusping life and your life is a blank slate to be written upon. And it's like, get out of the way world, here I come. And we, we've come to represent that for a generation. And that's a beautiful thing. And it took me a long time to understand that. And so anyway, I then having gone through my whole long process with it. I thought I've never heard what any other gang. Had to say about this, so I went and hunted them down and called them up and said, "Would you come? I'm going to bring a camera and let me come talk to you about what your experience in the Brad Pack was." And so I did, and it's been great. It was a really interesting, and I had so much more affection for everyone, and and they for me. You know, we all had so much more affection for our own youth than we did at the time when we were young and competitive and scared. You know, now we're old and it doesn't matter. And it was just like, wow. <laughs> you know, so I'm just finishing
1: up uh, that, and hopefully that'll be out uh,
0: by the end of the year.
1: I'm sure a lot of people are looking forward to it. So if you could, last question, if you could walk the Camino with a member of the Brat Pack, do you know who you would pick to hang out with for 500 miles?
0: <laughs> oh, one must be very careful in choosing their traveling partners. Um, oh, my God. I, 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 I can't mix my two worlds like that. I just don't know how that would work. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we I'm, can leave I'm it ducking that, that question. <laughs> do you think you'll walk the Camino again?
0: I wouldn't, last admit time. It. I wouldn't I wouldn't admit do it. It. it's the best it's the best thing I've ever done twice. Yeah, I would do it in, in a minute. I, I also want would want to give it some years before I do it again because it does like I mentioned, it takes it takes a while for all the all the sort of gifts and processing of the Camino to really come to fruition. So you don't want to do it too quickly, you know.
1: Well, unfortunately we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you.
0: Oh, I've enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: For more information on our upcoming programs go to WashingtonPostLive.com.